may sit comfortably. So, the title of this talk today is um, Empty Your Cup. And you've probably heard this same story before. Everyone seems to remember it. Um, but I'll, I'll run it past you again. Nanin, a Japanese Zen teacher during the Meiji period in Japan, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nanin served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he could no longer restrain himself. It's over full, no more will go in. And then Nanin said, like this teacup, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to have read that one and remembered that one. Mm -hmm. Must be instructive for all of us in some way. Mm -hmm. um, there are uh, Christian versions of this too, which sort of touch on the same theme of um, having pride to you or being superior. And the, um, the, the, the uh, uh, often quoted statement from Mark in the Bible, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it, has, than it is for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God. So a version on opinions might be it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a man or woman full of opinions to enter the kingdom of the present moment. Mm -hmm. Now what prompted me to um, talk about this today were two, two, um, two things that I came across recently last week. You may have or may not have read a, um, a newspaper article about a GP who was struck off um, for um, giving wrong advice to patients and then he appealed his case to be re-registered and uh, they knocked back his registration based on the, on the view of other doctors, psychiatrists who had an input into it. And the basis on which he was uh, not re-registered and deregistered in the first place is it was considered that he had a narcissistic personality disorder and this impacted on his profession to the extent that he was a danger to people. And that what he did, apart from the fact that he was um, uh, rude and arrogant towards his patients and had no empathy for them, he would make um, quick decisions about a diagnosis without any sense of self-reflection. And when he was challenged or confronted with other information from other doctors or other tests or whatever, he'd just ignore it and he gives totally inappropriate interventions to his patients. So it's sort of a very, very powerful kind of story about how that kind of rigidly sticking to opinions in that sort of very prideful kind of way could have an impact not just in our personal life but also in our professional life to the point where someone needs to be removed from that position because that narcissism is actually harmful to other people. The other story I came across, I was having a conversation with someone the other day who went to a workshop for um, 
alternative health practitioners on mental health. And in the course of the workshop, an example came up of, um, of an issue of a, um, a child sitting in the corner of a room by themselves while other children were playing. And all of these alternative health practitioners started to sprout these opinions as to why the child would be in the corner by themselves. I must have OCD, that's why he's all, you must be traumatised, you know, or you must have an insecure attachment style, or whatever. So people can be so very full of opinions about his right about something which is not necessarily an informed position. Now speaking as a psychologist, it being my field, myself or any of my colleagues that I know, you would see a child sitting in a corner while all the children were there and you start off not knowing why that is occurring. You start from a position of curiosity, not with the, some um, preconceived idea that you hold on to and go in with all kinds of possibilities and you're just curious to understand and of course you might form an opinion after exploring something but you don't have an opinion straight up well that would be that would be unprofessional that's what the the doctor would do and um, if you think it through a child um, playing in the corner by themselves could be because they're shy could be because they're autistic um, could be because they have an insecure attachment style or it could be because the train set was in the corner and they like trains. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But being opinionated has a whole lot of ramifications through not only our professional life, but our personal life, you know, and the way that we actually live our lives. Um, before I go on, may I say there's a difference between having opinions, if I can use that term, and it being opinionated. Right? And it's one aspiration within Zen practice to, um, to develop what is known as a don't know mind. Mm -hmm. Don't know mind. Now, with anything in Zen, you could take don't know mind into another superior position. Ah, yes. I have done no mind, right? and that becomes something that the ego then clings to as some superior inner insight, esoteric insight. Mm -hmm. So there's the problem of doing that, but there is a difference between um, being opinionated and having opinions. And basically, the difference is we all need to have opinions, like in our professional lives, you know, or in our decisions which political party to vote to or what position to take on an ethical issue. We all reflect, gather information, you know, and make a decision and act on it. Um, and we need to have those opinions in our everyday life. What we call opinionated is a kind of a, a personality characteristics of having to be right, right and holding on to those views even though they're uninformed, have no self-reflection in them, and don't even, um, uh, not even evidence-based. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking at. And by the way, it's not just other people who do this, we do it as well, right? That's, 
that's the that's the challenge here. You know, Zen practice is essentially looking at what other people do. What what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, that is the starting point. May also say too, um, on reflection in this too, that there's the people who go through life who um, never have opinions, you know, will, will never express opinions. Um, and that can be the opposite kind of problem. While there can be people who are over-entitled, there may be people who are under-entitled and they're shy and they're not sure of themselves, so they will never express an opinion, even they may they may be uh, an expert in some field or have some knowledge or experience. And so there is, there's being opinionated, which is a problem which is based on a kind of pride or arrogance or, or over-inflated position. But there is also the other side of it where people are fearful of expressing an opinion, you know, and they, they need to be encouraged to come forward to do it. But both are problematic, you know, if we look at our old friend, the cause of suffering, grasping and aversion, the prideful position, the, the sense of entitlement comes from grasping, right? But the fear of ever expressing an opinion comes from a kind of aversion, whereas that's a predominant thing. So what we're looking at here when we're looking at opinions is not opinions per se, but how the ego identifies with it and the rightness and wrongness of it, you know, and then that becomes um, a fixated, stuck kind of position that we have in our life that becomes problematic for us. Mm-hmm. The, the point of all Zen practice is to, like I was saying earlier when we were sitting, when we started, is we've all got stuck places in our experience, in our minds. We all get fixated on things. Right? And ra- rather than just being in the flow of the present moment, that's what takes us away from the present moment. So the more we can identify the places where we're stuck and dissolve them, the, the freer we will be. Um, just in terms of a personal experience, when I was younger, before I started Zen practice, I was extremely opinionated. And I remember a point where, um, where I took up very intensive meditation training at Maui Sendo with Robert Aiken. And I can clearly remember the time, that the, the moment in time where it happened. We were sitting around on the veranda where we used to have our meals, and there was some discussion taking place. And, and I had an experience of um, not knowing and not needing to know. But it was okay not to know. And so it was a quite a different experience from this opinionated person who came before. And I remember in that moment it feeling so liberating not to have to know. So liberating. So something something just dropped away that I didn't need to hold on to anymore. And and that is the experience. We think that we're going to somehow lose face, you know, we're going to be diminished in some way or humiliated in some way or not be good enough if we if we develop don't know mind. But if we drop into it and we really experience for what it is, and it's not based on fear, 
and it's not based on on stubborn pride that's that's the point of liberation you know not to be clinging to concepts not to be clinging to ideas and fixated on them now if we were to look into this see it's very easy to think about others who are opinionated or look at ourselves who are opinionated and look at it in a judgmental way and I don't want you to look at it in a judgmental way what I want to do is to invite you in to be curious about yourself when you're opinionated when I'm opinionated or when other people are opinionated a conversation I had with someone the other day who um, in his own own statement recognised he was being stubborn about something and, and I said to him well would you like to look at what your stubbornness is about? Let's just be curious about it and go into it. And when we started to go into it and look and look at it and look at what was underneath it, um, what he came to realise that his stubbornness was a defence about being humiliated, you know, and and a fear, you know, of being seen to be foolish or an idiot or um, vulnerable in some way. And he clearly saw it. He clearly saw that that was a defence against this vulnerability that he actually had inside, you know. And then he then he seemed to be it seemed to be useful to him. And then he was he became I think open to the idea of becoming vulnerable again. And and vulnerable in a relationship that it was important that he was vulnerable in and open to. So often. When we're when we're caught in an, an in an opinionated mindset, um, or other people are, um, if you look into it, it's often useful to ask the question, like what what's this protecting? You know what what is this hiding? And if you go into it and you melt that frozen block of emotion thought, you may eventually come to a place of of vulnerability in yourself. Which you can then sit in, and then something changes, something melts, something dissolves. You don't need to hang on to that stubborn pride so much to protect yourself. That's the compassionate way of looking into it rather than the, the judgmental way of looking into it. But all human beings, to one degree or another, instead of being able to abide in vulnerability, um, develop a strategy of power right, to, to protect that vulnerability. And as John Wellwood says very, very clearly in one of our readings around that about vulnerability and power, it, it just keeps you separated from life. It's, a, it's kicking an own goal, right? it's shooting yourself in the foot to actually take on that position. Suppose what can happen too is that we may um, become very opinionated as a kind of personality characteristic because we over-identify with our intellect. You know, we feel like we're well-educated, etc. We may not feel like we're very adequate in other areas of our life, so we over-identify with the intellect, and that that's the thing that we identify with as me. 
happen. And then that becomes the way that we kind of interact with the world in a kind of prickly kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important as we mature in Zen practice that we're not, we're not over-identifying with anything. Mm-hmm. Sporting prowess, artistic prowess, musical prowess, physical prowess. You know, it's like it just all drops away so we just become rounded you know, and whole. As soon as you fixate on something that you think you're good at, and, and I say fixate, that something's lost, right? You, you, lo- you lose your holistic experience of who you are. Um, a friend of mine who used to be part of this um, Zen group years ago was um, a very well-read and, and um, intellectual person. And he wasn't necessarily particularly opinionated, but he used to go into pubs and he used to like um, mixing with working class people and so on. And I remember a conversation he um, he had with me once is that that guys in pubs, like guys who go to pubs frequently and they've been in that pub culture all their life and they've drunk a lot of alcohol, as a, as an observation he made is that they're incredibly opinionated. And that, and that uh, they see the world in black and white terms. Now, there's a neurological reason for that, and that is if you drink a lot of alcohol, you destroy the connectivi- connectivity between different parts of your brain, between different neurons. So instead of seeing nuances and shades of grey, as all the, 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 the connections go, you just have this black and white way of looking at the world. So things are right and wrong, there's no in-between. And at its worst, it comes out as racism and it comes out as sexism, right? Things that can actually be be harmful, not just harmless opinions. Um, But what happens to the alcoholic can can also happen to anyone. Do you know if if we get caught up in dualistic thinking, if that's what runs our life, do you know if we're caught in the the right and wrong judgmentalism, you know, that runs a lot of different conversations and, and narratives. And it's like we're like the alcoholic, we're just stuck in this black and white position with no nuance at all, no subtlety. And there's no there's no openness to receive new information and go off in a different track. So if you if you have don't know mind and you are just curious and open to each moment and you're connected to the present moment, then you might have a certain view that you've developed, but as soon as something comes along that cha- that's another bit of evidence that challenges that view, you can, you can immediately drop it, right? And you're acting on what's in front of you in the moment rather than your preconceived idea that you're holding on to. So this has a lot of, a lot of application in everything that we do in our life. And where it meets up with is that this Zen perspective perspective of cultivating don't know mind is actually in the same spirit as science. The scientific mind is always curious, you know, it won't, won't fixate on dogma. Give me the evidence, show me the evidence, let's do the experiments over and over and over again to validate that this hypothesis seems to be correct. And it's never totally correct. 
the spirit of science that you never hold on to any truth as being absolute. You always, there's always a sense of inquiry that take, takes it a step further. Right? So that is, of course you can have scientific dogmatism, but that's not the true spirit of science. So our scientific way of thinking that moves things forward into us understanding the world is kind of in a sense synonymous with this don't know mind. The greatest scientists are the people who are just full of wonder and curiosity about life. And that's what drives them to want to understand. So, the teaching for all of us, including me, empty your cup. Thank you.